I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Term Limits Movement for the week of April 15, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Do you think you'll take another piece of me to satisfy your intellectual me? Do you want A lot of the action on term limits as of late has been on the Democratic side of the aisle. In the Chicago mayor's race, among Democratic candidates for president, among progressive activists seeking cleaner elections, among the crucial few undecideds left in the upcoming vote in Arizona on the term limits convention, even inside the Democratic caucus in the U.S. House of all places. U.S. term limits executive director Nick Tombalides has been keeping his eye on all these developments, as always. Let's check in. Hey, Nick. Hey, Phil. All right. You know, a little history was made this week in Chicago. On the 2nd, we had the mayoral elections, and Lori Lightfoot, who is a vocal supporter of a two-term, eight-year tournaments on both the council and the mayor, won the election. Exciting. She's the yeah, first absolutely. mayor in the history of Chicago to support a term limit on her own position. That's a lot right. of folks just assume most big cities have term limits. You'd be right. Uh, more than half of the cities in America with a population over 250,000 have term limits on their mayor. Nine mm-hmm. of the 10 largest cities in America by population have it. But Chicago is the one the holdout. They're the one right. exception that's never had it before. And so Lightfoot put together this reform platform, which included term limits. Now that she's in there, they got to put it on the ballot and get it done. Yeah, that's fantastic. It was so exciting also because she went around talking about it. And in Illinois, um, unlike a lot of other places, people support tournaments everywhere, but in Illinois, it's really a hot issue. And the press asks both candidates running for basically all these positions, mayor, state legislature, governor, what they feel about term limits. And she really made it part of her campaign, and she ended up winning um, with a much larger margin than what was expected. Yeah. And Chicago, uh, obviously no stranger to corruption. They have had a tremendous number of city council members who have been indicted or convicted just in the last, you know, several decades. I think more than 30 of the Chicago city council members have been connected with corruption. Uh, The most high profile one was uh, Edward Burke, longest serving council member, uh, I think, in the history of Chicago, longest serving alderman. He'd been there, what, about 50 years, I think? Right. And uh, he was caught on an FBI wiretap trying to extort legal work, trying to extort campaign donations uh, from people who are running businesses in the city. And Mm -hmm. the hilarious part is, this really shows you the culture of corruption in Chicago. His fellow city council members were not angry about his corruption. They were angry that he got caught. What really outraged <laughs> them when they were all when they were all asked in the aftermath, you know, what's up, what upset you the most about this? They said, well, we didn't like the fact that he was getting secretly recorded taking bribes. <laughs> right, right. How dare they? That's so rude to record us when we're trying to engage in some little bit of, uh, you know, business here. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yep, that's right. You know, the, the uh, Lori Lightfoot's opponent, Tony Bre- uh, well, Preckwinkle, opposed the tournaments and her exact quote, and I'm not making this up. Her exact quote was, we already have term limits. They're called elections. <laughs> well, well you know, you know my, 
Well, you know, my, my favorite quote is we have term limits. They're called indictments. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it, but it, look, if, if Chicago wants us to stop doubting politicians, they have to stop giving us reasons to doubt the politicians. Uh, right. Scandal after scandal has just drained the citizens there of any faith in their elected uh, officials. Uh, it's really more of a mafia-style pay-to-play system. You know, you've had several of the last few governors of Illinois go to prison. Uh, right. Rod Blagojevich, the most recent one, for yeah. trying to sell a Senate seat. And uh, it, the culture just really needs to change. I think Lightfoot sounds like she's a, a breath of fresh air. It's not just term limits that she ran on. She had a whole anti-corruption platform. That's right. That she term, did. term limits was really right at the top of that. She wanted to get rid of conflict of interest. She wanted to get rid of gerrymandering and, and investigate uh, ethics abuses. So it, it's a new day for Chicago and uh, definitely a step in the right direction. Yep. All right. Well, the other news that affects uh, Democrats, because Lori Lightfoot naturally is a Democrat winning the mayor, mayorship of Chicago, but uh, several of the Democratic candidates over the last week or so, for president, that is, uh, spoke out on the issue of term limits, often sparked by activists uh, or uh, even staffers of uh, U.S. term limits. And um, the first of those that I noticed was Representative John Delaney of Maryland, who was a six-year, was a six-year, I guess he's not there anymore, representative in the U.S. House. And he was asked by our own Ken Quinn in New Hampshire while uh, John Delaney was basically on the stump looking for supporters in his presidential run, uh, whether he supported term limits. And he said, absolutely, I'm very supportive of that idea. And in fact, he has stated that before. He has a book that also mentions the idea. So John Delaney firmly in the pro-term limits camp amongst the uh, Democratic presidential Mm -hmm. candidates. Yeah, no one can sleep on this guy. Uh, Even if you've never heard of him before, you probably will hear of him soon. He recently retired from Congress after three terms, and he retired as one of the richest members of Congress. Uh, I think his net worth is reportedly over $200 million. Um, right. So he de- he definitely has the deep pockets to fund a national presidential campaign. And um, I expect that he's going to be in the, the discussion as one of the prominent right. candidates sooner rather than later. It probably should be pointed out that he was really rich before he got to Congress. It, yes. It, it wasn't because of his six years in Congress. I probably should make that distinction. You can't really get rich in six years in Congress. That's the it whole point of yeah. term limits. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why we're right. against career politicians. Hi, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. I want to let you know about some upcoming events where you can connect with us to discuss term limits. June 28th through 30th in Memphis, Tennessee at the Young Americans for Liberty Conference. July 11th through 13th at the Netroots Conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. July 11th through 13th at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver, Colorado. July 19th through 21st in San Jose, California at the Young Americans for Liberty Conference. July 17th through 20th at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas, Nevada. There are many events happening around the country. If you know an event where U.S. terminals should be, please contact us with the details. Uh, who else? Somebody else came out for tournaments or against tournaments this week. Well, Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. One of our volunteers went to a Bernie Sanders event in Muscatine, Iowa, and had success not only asking him where he stood on term limits, but we also got this written up in in the Washington Examiner. Um, I know this is going to be shocking to our podcast audience, but Bernie Sanders, the 30-year Washington veteran, is not a supporter of term limits. (laughs) Right. Bernie actually called term limits undemocratic. Oh, come on. 
look, folks, I'm against term limits. Term limits are a conspiracy of the 1%. What we really need is bread limits. <laughs> right. You know, what's, what's ironic about that is most term limits that are imposed across the United States aren't done by the politicians. It's done by people that collect signatures, put it on the ballot, and then have other citizens vote for that measure overwhelmingly, usually with numbers as high as 70 or 80 percent. And he's calling it undemocratic. That's, uh, that's pretty clever. Well, um, I, look, the existence of a Senator Bernie Sanders is, is pretty undemocratic. We let him vote on uh, the laws of our nation. We don't vote on those directly ourselves. We don't, point. We, don't, we don't have a direct democracy in this country. You know, we have a democratic republic. Mm-hmm. And in order to make that work, in order to make our elections function properly, we need to draw the right parameters around elected office. So, for example, you can't run for Bernie Sanders Senate seat if you live in California. Right. You can't run for Bernie Sanders Senate seat if you're 19 years old. There yeah. are rules and regulations around political office in order to keep the system clean. And 90% of the time, Bernie Sanders is not against those rules and regulations. Oh, no, of course uh, not. In fact, if you look up rules and regulations in the dictionary, you see a picture of Bernie Sanders. He's, <laughs> so he just has this kind of glaring uh, exemption to his, his philosophy. Right. Um, and I think it, it comes from a place of self-interest. He doesn't want to admit that he is someone who probably make a good poster child for term limits. Of course, it's from self-interest. And of course, even taking the idea of democracy further, um, what policy leads to more open seats and competitive elections? Term limits. What opens up more chances for citizens to run and win public office? Term limits. What gives citizens uh, more opportunity to work on campaigns that have a chance to win and therefore be more meaningful term limits. It's such a clearly pro-democratic policy reform for the people versus that 1% that he's worried about, which he is, of course, part of in this case. So, um, Bernie, sorry, buddy. I actually uh, went to a conference a few weeks ago in Nashville called the uh, Unrig the System uh, Summit. Yeah. And it was a progressive-leaning conference to discuss election reform in the United States, how to crack down on corruption, how to crack down on bribery. Obviously, most people there believe term limits has to be a piece of the puzzle. But what fascinated me was that this movement of progressives who seek to defeat the rake system in Washington, it's led primarily by younger, very energetic voices, people mm-hmm. who tend to be in their 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s, who just very, very wide-eyed and, and very, very kind of idealistic and believe that we can overcome this corruption. But the question is, how are these people ever going to get into positions of leadership if they're being blocked by these prehistoric incumbents who have clung to power for decades on end? There, sure. There's just no opening right now because there's no term limits. What I see is a natural synergy developing between these young people who would like to have more influence on the process and the term limits movement, which would bring down the barriers to entry and create those opportunities for them. Right. We saw some action on this front and for those exact same reasons within the Democratic caucus in the House. Um, If you recall, when Pelosi was trying to regain her position as speaker, she made a deal with a bunch of people in the House, again, mostly the younger people. Uh, new members of the House that were that felt very strongly about this issue, that she said that she would um, allow a vote to change the rules, the caucus rules, to put term limits on the three major positions in the Democrat caucus. That would be the House Speaker, 
the majority leader, and uh, what's the third? The whip. So there was a meeting that was supposed to be held on March 15th, but it was postponed. There was a government shutdown and whatever going on at the time, I guess. Uh, but now they just had a meeting on April 1st, but this is not a joke, uh, late night meeting. Pelosi was, I believe, there in which they went over these. They went over this issue and they went a lot of back and forth. And it looks like a lot of the steam has gone out of this effort now that Pelosi is established in that position. And so I don't know that this is going to be something that happens, but it was really encouraging to see this little short-lived, uh, I don't know what you call it, call it, little tussle within the Democratic Party on this issue. And, um, yeah, it, it's rare that you ever see anyone in Congress standing up to the leadership. Mostly the way the game is played is you keep your head down for 10, 12 years. You get your committee assignments. You have to kiss the rings before you mm-hmm. can have any influence in Washington, D.C. It's unusual that a group of newer members would actually confront the leadership and ask for more of an opportunity early on. Yeah, We'll I monitor think- it. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, if it's a broken promise, it wouldn't be the first one in Washington, D.C., and no one would be surprised. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. This is a public service announcement. This week, we ran across a fun term limits quote from Barack Obama from back in 2012 when the president was speaking to supporters announcing his intention to run for re-election. But as we shared in previous podcasts, President Obama wasn't just kidding around about term limits. He was a supporter, a genuine supporter, of term limits for both the Congress and the president. Speaking to the African Union in Ethiopia in 2015, President Obama called for African leaders to respect their constitutional term limits and promised that their nations would benefit. Let's hear both clips. When a leader tries to change the rules in the middle of the game just to stay in office, it risks instability and strife, as we've seen in Burundi. And this is often, and this is often just a first step down a perilous path. And sometimes you'll hear a leader say, well, we're, I'm the only person who can hold this nation together. If that's true, then that leader has failed to truly build their nation. You look at Nelson Mandela. Madiba, like George Washington, forged a lasting legacy, not only because of what they did in office, but because they were willing to leave office and transfer power peacefully. And just as the African Union has condemned coups, and illegitimate transfers of power, the AU's authority and strong voice can also help the people of Africa ensure that their leaders abide by term limits and their constitutions. Nobody should be president for life. And your country's better off if you have new blood and new ideas. I'm still a pretty young man. I'm still a a pretty young man, but I know that Somebody with new energy and new insights will be good for my country. You know, I was thinking as I was about to come out about uh, this, which will be my last campaign. No, no, I I mean, there's a term limit thing in in the presidency. This isn't like Congress. I can't just keep on running. Well, let's look at the uh, states that are still alive for this session. Uh, we've been talking about how we won the Georgia Senate, 
uh, earlier in this this session, and we were waiting on a House vote, um, but we were being held up by the Speaker. So how did that turn out, Nick? We didn't get the House vote. Um, okay. That doesn't mean we were defeated. No. If we were... If we actually had a vote and we and we lost the vote, that would be one thing. But in this case, we did not get the vote. It's a part-time legislature with a very short session, mm-hmm. um, and it's a two-year session. So this session that started in 2019 carries over to 2020, right. and in 2020, we will have the opportunity to pass the state house. I know it's not the result that our activists from Georgia were looking for, um, but we are very much still alive in Georgia, and we get to carry our Senate passage over to the 2020 uh, session. Right. So in the so, 2020 session, we don't have to pass the Senate again. We've already won it, so now we only have to worry about the other House. So no, was, we've uh, already won Georgia it. was a victory so, for uh, for the 2019 sessions, for sure. Absolutely. We can put our focus on winning the House. We can mm-hmm. send our grassroots organizers, we can send our canvassers into House districts, get more members on the pledge. 2020 is an election year, so I think the incentive is even greater mm-hmm. uh, to do this, to try to placate the voters. A lot of Democrats in the state house in Georgia are wondering why the Republican speaker is not giving it a vote. Um, so they might put him between a rock and a hard place. Right, okay. And we were also talking about, uh, been talking about Arizona. There, we, we passed the house and we're waiting on a Senate vote. We are waiting on the Senate vote. We are gonna get the Senate vote. In April, in Arizona. Uh, The session ends on the 27th. We could see the vote as early as next week. Um, What's really hanging in the balance in Arizona are three Democratic state senators who signed the U.S. term limits pledge. They said, absolutely, I'm for Mm -hmm. this. I'll co-sponsor congressional term limits, and I'll vote for it. Um, But they they have since gotten... Uh, deluged with this wave of pressure from lobbyists and special interests uh, to break their word and go against us. So okay. there's an epic, there's an epic cosmic struggle going on in Arizona and in the minds of these three Democrats as to whether they listen to the people of their districts who want term limits or whether mm-hmm. they listen to the swamp. Uh, and we are doing everything in our power to alert the voters in Arizona of this dilemma their representatives are facing, asking them to reach out and encourage them to vote for it. Okay, so now unlike Georgia, though, this vote is going to determine whether or not we live or die in Arizona this year. So if we lose this vote, we're done in Arizona. We'd have to start all over again next year. So that's how important this one is. We're not there yet. It comes down to these three Democratic senators, Sean Bowie, Andrea D'Alessandro, and Jamasita Peshlakai. Those are the three. What should our listeners be doing? Is there anything they can be doing to help out in Arizona? Termlimits.com, current actions tab. We've got an action there where you can blast an email directly to these senators. And I think it also goes to the other senators in Arizona just to let them know how important this is to you. If you live in Arizona, go ahead and take that action. Right. If you don't live in Arizona, don't. We don't want people from outside the state to do this because that just pisses them off. They need to hear from constituents. They need to hear from people they know. Uh, So if you live in Arizona, um, that's the best way to do it. All right. We'll finish off with another victory in Florida. Another week, another committee. Yeah, it's like uh, there's no end to the number of committees (laughs) that we have to face in Florida. This is the Senate Education Committee. And we were a little worried about this one because on the eve of the committee hearing, one of the most powerful lobbyists in the state of Florida came up to our team and he said, you guys better bring a life vest to this committee tomorrow. 
Uh, You're on life support. You don't have the votes. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of shrugged it off, you know, brushed off our shoulders. Came in the next day, same lobbyist comes up to us before the committee hearing and said, you guys are dead. You better get this thing postponed because you are dead. I've counted the votes. You do not have the votes on this committee. Mark my words. Oh, boy. Um, and, you must have uh, been sweating. You know, I just looked at him. You know, I was pretty calm and collected, and I said, hey, man. Pride comes before the fall. I left it. <laughs> that doesn't I sound like it at that. I left it at that. No, that's good. Um, we, we we just kind of kept our heads down. We stayed humble. We entered our testimony into the record. We shored up our state senators, and would you believe it? We passed the committee five to three, wow. and that guy, that lobbyist, had to scurry out of there doing the walk of shame with his tail between his legs. <laughs> All right. It was, a, it was a great moment. So school board term limits are very much alive in Florida. Um, one more committee stop in the Senate. That's Senate rules. And then we would go to the floor in both chambers. That's great. I heard a podcast uh, interview that you did on the subject of school board tournaments recently. It was great work on that. Welcome to The Great Book, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Today is April 11th. Yesterday, in the Senate Education Committee, a bill moved forward that would allow for a statewide vote on creation of term limits for school board members. If this were to move forward, voters would decide whether to require all school board members to leave their office after two four-year terms, take a break. They could come back again if they wanted to afterwards, run for re-election at that point, but they would need to leave after eight years. Today, we have Nick Tombalidis of U.S. Term Limits, which is pushing for this measure. I want to start off first by just asking, why would the U.S. Term Limits movement focus on Florida school board members at this point? What is the attraction to that? Uh, So we actually uh, work on term limits all over the country at every level of government, um, from Congress all the way down to dog catcher. And right now, we actually have a movement underway to term limit Congress uh, using the power of state legislatures. So it's not that we're we're entirely focused on school boards in Florida. It's just that this is an issue that's very near and dear to our heart because um, most of the U.S. term limits team actually lives in Florida. And we want government here in Florida to be more accountable, more transparent. Uh, We want more competitive elections. Um, so there seemed to be a, a great opportunity for this based on what happened at the Constitutional Revision Commission um, last year. You know, it, it was uh, kind of unfortunate what happened because the uh, the courts decided that Amendment 8 was, was not constitutional, but they were only focused on the school choice element of the amendment from last year. Uh, they didn't actually have any commentary about the eight-year term limits portion for school boards. That kind of got caught in the crossfire in a way. And, you know, we think the people of Florida actually deserve a chance to vote on that. Uh, We think the legislature should make things right and put it back on the ballot because 82% of voters want it. Is there any part of the argument that is not favorable towards term limits that you actually think makes sense at all? Or is that just a complete non-starter, nothing good there? Oh, yeah, definitely. There are some good public servants um, who serve a long time whether it's Congress, school boards, whatever. They're not all bad. Now, I happen to think that um, the really good ones are kind of a, a minority, and I think most people would agree with that. But it is true that with term limits, you do lose a few really good people. That's that's not um, arguable. 
Um, but most of those good guys actually happen to support this anyway because they would rather overhaul the entire system, make our elections more fair, bring down the barriers, give people more opportunities than just personally have the ability to stick around for a very long time. What's cool about uh, this bill, uh, HJR 229, SJR 274, is it's a consecutive term limit. So if there are people who have made a, a real difference at the local level, they would have the opportunity to sit out and come back, meaning that some of that institutional knowledge uh, would be retained. If the voters really wanted them back, they could bring them back. Well, again, thanks, Nick, for taking some time to talk with me, and I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. To keep up on the latest in Florida education breaking news, please visit the Gradebook blog, www.tampabay.com slash gradebook. And that's why everybody wants a piece of the action. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this week. Hopefully you're already a subscriber. If not, please do. You can use iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. There's no better way to plug into the growing Term Limits Network. And please help us grow. This week, please send an email to at least one friend, family member, associate, coworker who might be interested in the issue of term limits. Tell them that you're active in this movement and to ask them to join you. Send them the link to www.termlimits.com and ask them specifically to one, sign the online petition, and two, listen to the podcast. At least one person. Think about it. You know just the one. Actually, you probably know more than one. Then come back next week for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. See you then. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast.